I'm about to shake down this lunch lady for crappy kidney beans and everything. I'm Sam. I contemplated suicide this morning. And I'm Tyler, and this is Cop and a Half, the 1993 classic, and you're listening to Stinker Madness. Hello, and welcome to Stinker Madness, the bad movie podcast for bad movie lovers. Uh, today, it's Sando Sam the Sandwich Man, myself, and Tyler doing Cop and a Half. First question I have to ask you, did your daughter watch Cop and a Half with you? Absolutely not. Okay. She wanted nothing to do with it from the very beginning. <laughs> so she just left? Uh, she just grabbed her iPad and just watched YouTube on that. Oh, so you like... I, and you know what? I don't blame her. So you forced her to stay in the room and she's like, okay, but I'm not going to watch this bullshit. Exactly. Yeah. And... You know, I wish I'd have done the same, honestly. <laughs> I feel like this was a movie that my dad took me to see as a child. And then it was, there was nothing in particular to remember about any of this movie. So I just completely forgot that it existed or that I've seen it. I think there's some things to remember now watching it as an adult, sort of many years ex post facto. But we'll get into that as it happens. It's funny, though, because we picked this with the the expressed desire to pick a movie that your daughter would be able to watch so that I could get we could get her take on it. And her take is fuck cop and a half. Uh, yeah. From the from the basically from the intro credit, she was like, what? This is I, I, why would I watch this? Like oh, nothing yeah. had happened yet. It's just that that music and the intro credits, and she was like, "No, uh, uh-uh. I'm I'm gonna watch YouTube." I mean, I will well, say, you know, she does really enjoy the fantasy genre, and I would put this movie in as a fantasy. Um, but it it was uh, it's just boring. How like what what sort of fantasy? How do you how do you classify this as being anything like being a the fantasy of becoming a cop as a child? Uh, yeah, and, like, the fantasy of a young black kid hanging out with a white cop and, like, <laughs> them getting along. I mean, it, I guess that we're a long way from 1993. Yeah, we're a long way away. So, speaking of the music, uh, Alan Silvestri. Yeah. That, uh, apparently, if you're a composer in Hollywood, you still gotta do shit. Because this isn't, like, early in Alan Silvestri's career. He had already done Romancing the Stone and Back to the Future by this point. <laughs> well, you know, any port in a storm. And, you know, I even though the Delta Force probably turned out to be a lot... I mean, it turned out to be a lot better than what he thought he was getting into... He had done canon movies to that point as well. And so, like, I guess just to keep working, you got to dive in the dumpster every once in a while if you're a composer. Yeah, I, I'm kind of interested. I don't know if this is the point that we should talk about it or not, but was this movie successful? Yeah, this is the point that we talk about this. Um, this movie couldn't have been more successful. It cost $4 million no. and it returned $40.3 million. 
I feel like this was like Burt Reynolds was trying to make a comeback, but he couldn't quite get there yet. You know, what do you know about Reynolds career? Uh, I know he was like the sexiest man on earth for like a decade. And then uh, he got hit by the eighties hard and eventually kind of fell away and lost his hair. And, uh, and then all of a sudden he was in boogie nights and everyone was like, Oh yeah. Remember Burt Reynolds? So yeah, that's the thing is it like Malone and those movies that he was in, like, he directed Sharky's machine and that's sort of the bottom dropping out of the action genre. I feel like that one was moderately successful. I'm a huge fan of Sharky's machine, but by the time Malone rolls around, like it's not just that he's taking it a little personally. He's like, I guess this town just doesn't want me anymore. And it's like, no, the theater just doesn't want that shit anymore. They want the ILM has done Jurassic Park. Magical things are happening on screen again. That isn't just you shaking your moneymaker and kicking people's asses, which I have no problem with. Yeah, I mean, I it, that sounds like a movie I'd watch. That was not this movie. What? Uh, the, the, okay, so there was this. This was all happening around what they did is they were taking like old action stars who'd played all of these badasses, and they were pairing them up with. Uh, they're like, well, they can't really do comedy, but they could kind of do comedy if they were a cop, and we stick them with. Uh, I don't know, a kid. Uh, how about his mom? And he says. Um, he says, stop or my mom will shoot. And that's what we'll call the movie. It's like there was a string of movies like this that were like all coming out around the early 90s. Yeah, the bottom drops out of the action market right around the same time that Canon just takes a huge shit. Uh, and these screwball comedies with action stars, you got Twins and Junior, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, this shit. Yep. Kindergarten Cop is probably one of the reasons why they got well if that works we can just put any of these people in a screwball comedy and it'll still make money because they have nothing to do with these bankable stars because they know that these action films that are conventional are just going to tank yeah well i guess in all of these uh act aging action stars needed work too so they weren't going to be believable for much longer as like you know the terminator Whatever else you, you yes Rambo I guess actually I don't know they made more of those recently so. yeah you got Schwaz does it through um, Eraser the bottom drops out of his market Eraser tanks I think it made like broke even but it was supposed to be the number one hit of the year or whatever yeah. Stallone muddled around with like shit like Cliffhanger and Driven Driven is really bad almost impossible to watch. Uh, and then Reynolds doesn't necessarily, I've read about it, like he didn't necessarily need that role or those same action movies. He was open to being in movies that like striptease and playing different characters like Boogie Nights. IMDb is attributing striptease as the moment that his comeback is Starting, but I'm really going to say it's got to be Boogie Nights if you look at actually what happens after Striptease and what happens after Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights has to be the catalyst. Yeah, I, f I forgot he was in Striptease. That's right. But yeah, I, I mean, those movies came out roughly around the within a few years of each other. So it Honestly, you, you can anyway. pin it on this one. He hadn't done anything that was successful in a while, and this was wildly successful, and he probably gets striptease and boogie nights because of this. So 
there's a chance that this was the comeback for Reynolds, which is tragic because this movie stinks. Oh, yeah, it's bad. It has, uh, I counted up the number of uh, good jokes in this movie, and there's exactly one. Which one did you think was good? <laughs> it's where the um, the kid asked the bartender what his name is, and he's got Steve tattooed on his arm. <laughs> that I thought that was funny, and I also thought, what? What's your 1020? And he just goes, we're perpendicular when they're on the bridge. I thought that was uh, funny, too. Yeah. Uh, all right. I'll, I'll say one and a half. <laughs> I'm giving, I'll give that a half joke. Uh, so Henry Winkler, speaking of people that hadn't had a hit in a while. Actually, Henry Winkler wasn't hey. somebody that hadn't had a hit in, the hit in a while. I mean, he had just come off of... He was the executive producer of MacGyver. Did you know that? I did not, but way to go, Fonzie. Yeah, he all did you know that he has an MFA in drama from Yale? Uh sure, that sounds accurate. Yeah, he worked as a producer and he did he directed two movies. He directed a lot of episodes of television shows. Uh but he never stopped working. It's just that he stopped being in front of the camera until Waterboy, and then he started being in front of the camera a lot more often after that. Yeah, that and Arrested Development, that's when he made his, his comeback. Which has got to be like a, a, a solid that uh, Ron Howard does for him, because this is a solid that he did for <laughs> Ron Howard. This is for Ron Howard's production company, and this is one of the sort of money makers that Ron Howard did in the, around this period, so... It was like, here you go. And I don't think anybody thought this was going to be a smash hit, but it apparently was. I can't believe that it was a smash hit. But then again, it was the early 90s. And they, I guess this is uh, what this is post Reservoir Dogs pre Pulp Fiction. So it's like you could still get away with uh, making a movie like Wasn't this. Wasn't Pulp Fiction 92? Was it? I thought it was 94. Could have been. Or I don't know. We should know these things, but we don't. It's like we, I'm so prepared for this podcast every time I do it. <laughs> we Last a couple episodes ago, I was talking with Tucker about like when I dive into these things, I just find so much information completely irrelevant that whoever I'm doing the show with finds to be relevant information. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the this is a basically a movie made up of uh, movie stereotypes from other movies, and they just combined them all into one. Like you know, you've got the biker bar scene. You've got the uh, that we've got to jump across the bridge as the boat's going under it. You know, before the drawbridge opens up all the way. You got the I'm too old for this. Cop. Dead partner, bad hotel room. This is just a spoof of yeah. a buddy cop picture, because it, or it's called a spoof, but this is really a buddy cop picture where they just make the buddy cop a kid. Yeah. So definitely more and, of a uh, screwball fish out of water than actual spoof. Hey, and the kid was cute. He's got a, he's got a good smile. He looks like he's charming. Uh, just. You know, they couldn't give him a, a line, write him a line that he could deliver uh, that sounded natural. I thought the kid did great. 
he did. No, he did with what yeah. he had to but work. Every with. line that came out of his mouth was. Yeah, I actually exactly. think the whole thing looked better than I thought it was good. I have never seen this until now, and I I had always been like, oh boy, that's probably going to make an episode one day, but I don't think I actually want to watch it. And you were correct. This was uh, a, a, a good, bad waste of my time this morning when I, I could have done something productive, like hit myself in the head with a hammer. Repeatedly, <laughs> I d- I did not enjoy this movie. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Henry Winkler also uh, does children's books. If you care about that, the kid that you're talking about, oh, I bet is uh, Norman D. Golden II, who was also the rapper Enormous. I was unable to find any recorded material by the rapper Enormous. Oh. He turned into a, he did a rap career, made a shot at a rap career. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Did he continue acting? It seems like it. Not a lot though. He was in like an episode of Law and Order. Yeah, and then I believe he does some a little bit of dabbles in writing and producing and things like that, but for the most part, is probably living off the residuals of this picture. Yeah, well, well, you know, we all peak at different ages. Yeah. Uh, Ray Sharkey, the bad guy, who was in uh, Lords of Flatbush with Henry Winkler, he died right after they made this. No way. You know, Can I take okay, a guess? guess. Um, uh, cocaine overdose? AIDS. Or AIDS. Yeah. Oh! <laughs> At, at the time frame, there's if somebody died uh, early in Hollywood, it, you got a pretty good chance of guessing either uh, cocaine overdose or AIDS. Yeah. Uh, would you like to know something horrible about this person? His agent uh, yeah. revealed that he wanted to keep the AIDS a secret to keep his career intact, which didn't look to be like a real great career. So he just didn't tell anybody and proceeded as usual to the point that he had uh, apparently had sex with over 100 women after he had been diagnosed with AIDS and didn't tell them. Oh. Yeah, I think... Real I'm, bad. I'm pretty sure they made that illegal. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, they classify it as attempted murder, I believe. Yeah. But they can't get you right, if well. you're dead from it. Well... Good, good time to go out. He got to make this classic movie. And you then, also know that you know go out, go out on top. Yeah. Speaking of going out on top, this movie thought that it was going to go out on top when the closing music is from Joey Lawrence's debut album. No way. Yep. That music. That, that weird, shitty hip hop. Scratchy, all made on a, like a Casio keyboard. The not R and B hit jam at the end is "Nothing Love Can't Fix" by Joey Lawrence. Oh, oh boy! Wait, no, that's not what he. What did he say? <laughs> oh boy, was Scott Bakula uh, and I? I don't even remember yeah, shit about yeah. Blossom. Well, isn't it? Whoa, whoa! Yeah, there you go. That's what it was. I guess he was on Dancing with the Stars. I don't know. 
I don't watch that shit. Ah, uh, well, he should have died of AIDS. Okay, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm coming in hot. I just watched this and I'm a little upset. And then I drink a Red Bull, so <laughs> I, I just have anger swirling through my veins right now. <laughs> You probably should have had some of the pop rocks they were trying to pawn off as drugs and towards the late middle of this movie. Did you notice that? The drugs were just piles it, of blue uh, pop it, rocks. It was pop rocks? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, they didn't quite name exactly what the drugs were. I didn't know what they were going for. If they, was- they weren't trying to go crack epidemic, because it wasn't crack. A little early also- for meth to be popular. Mm-hmm. They didn't seem to uh, really lean hard into how this should have been for kids. There's too much swearing, I feel like, it in this movie. Yeah, and it's also like, I mean, if you're on the side that where you like you don't like cops, like this movie would just confirm everything about like why you don't like cops. Because he's, one, he's the worst cop in the world, and he's an asshole, He's just driving through people's yards and going, hey, whatever. Yeah. And um, and uh, he like he smokes and then he litters. You know, the kid got him. He's like, hey, you're littering. And he's like, hey, I'm a cop. I can do whatever I want. And you're like, hey, see that? That's it. <laughs> That's why people don't like yep. it. <laughs> driving around in a Camaro with fucking alligator skin boots, which we should just get into this. The movie starts. The music is... Way more playful than the movie. I, my first note is, music sucks. Then I find out it's Alan Silvestri, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, Alan, what? Did, there were a couple of good songs, like, partway through the movie, where I was like, whoa, this is actually, like, whoever scored this did a good job. And then the next song would play, and you'd be like, ah, I gotta take, gotta it, take back. it back. <laughs> so anyway, we get uh, Devin Butler, who's one tough cop, even though he's an eight-year-old kid in grade school, and he goes by the the name Mad Dog. And he's gonna he's putting a shakedown on his friend with a squirt gun. I don't know what they do at this school, but there's no yard duty ever at the recess. They don't ever seem to go into the classrooms. It's a bunch of nonsense that leads to him like squirting a teacher in the crotch with a with a squirt gun, which is supposed to be funny, but it isn't. And the the teacher just stands there like and looks at it. It happens for a very long time. Yeah, it's almost as if he's the as this this kid is so trigger happy he just can't stop squirting the guy in the groin. And the teacher is such a moron he can't reach his hand down and grab the squirt gun out of his hand. Yeah. You know? Or put his hand in front of his crotch. He just kind of stands there and goes, what are you doing? I'll get you, kid. Uh, Then Devin is given a swirly by the bullies who take everybody's lunch money as a protection racket. Uh, The principal is uninterested in doing anything about this. It is clear that that child was stuffed into a toilet, and he is in trouble for that. Yeah, which, um, you know, again, it's like the classic, uh, you know, it's just any school scene. It's like, oh, here's the bullies. You get in trouble for the bullies being a bully to you because no one will listen to you. That kind of thing. And you're just like, Jesus. 
This. So a bunch of that happens to the point that you're tired of watching it. You find out his mom's like a nurse and she has night shifts and stuff. But on the way home, there's a police pursuit and we are introduced to the Burt Reynolds character who is just being the worst cop ever, as you said. If Parks and Rec had an internal investigations unit, they would be all over this asshole. <laughs> Can I also say that one of the other stereotypes I noticed, and like this is like especially a 90s stereotype because they just kind of gloss over it, but you've got young black kid being raised by grandma because you fill in the blanks. Yep. I was like, oh, man, okay, I see. It's like this has been going on forever. It's like, yeah. It's a black kid. Why would his parents be at home? It's his grandma that's raising him. Anyway, yeah. that was uh, that was my keen observation for the day. Well, later there's like a white lady in a muumuu that doesn't do anything that's trying to get protective services to take him away from his one family member because she just hates black people, I guess. Oh, God, I didn't understand. I was like, did, was she, was she trying to like... Yeah, I could, that part blew me away because it kind of I was like, wait, is this a is this a joke scene? Like, what was the point of this old lady asking him that? I have no idea. Well, Reynolds busts this guy up after he ruins ten thousand dollars worth of landscaping and drives through some people's yards over like he screws up his own car too. Like that's a classic. Yeah. And it comes away with, without a scratch. He's getting mad at the What does he say to the guy? He's like, hey, get off the hood. I just waxed this car. And you're like, dude, you just drove through like four fences. And a, that car is going to be smashed up. And a clothes hanger line that would have really screwed up the hood. But whatever. Yeah. This is when you're getting it. It's, it's, they tried to make this scene play out like... Uh, uh, you know, like some old Warner Brothers cartoon chase scene where it's like you're going through the yard. Oh, somebody gets stuck in the clothesline. Watermelons are breaking. You're tons of. Awesome. That was a beautiful garden. It... Did you see how much fruit yeah. you had there? If that was my garden and a cop drove through there, it's like, dude, this is America, man. I'm coming out with a gun and we're getting into a fight. Like, I don't care if you got a red light on the top of your car, man. Do you know how long it took that lady to work on that fucking garden? Yeah, and she probably would have reported <laughs> it, and they would have been like, yeah, we're going to report this complaint. When I was a kid, there was apparently a drug raid that was supposed to go next door, even though, as it turns out later, next door was the wrong house, too. But they got the house so wrong that they SWAT teamed through our yard and drove over a bunch of trees and just wrecked all sorts of shit. And they didn't have any of it fixed or pay for any of it because they said, oh, it was just a mistake. And that's okay, I guess. <laughs> that, yeah, well, yeah. You know, they're police, right? Everybody likes the police. They've never done anything wrong. Yeah. So just let them drive through your yard. And the competency level that they got the wrong house wrong. Like, next door wasn't even the right house, but they thought it was. They wronghoused so bad, they were, like, three degrees of separation away from the right house, if there even was a right house. Well, do you remember, were any of them wearing uh, alligator skin boots? 
No, they really sort of figured out that it was the wrong house before they made it all the way in. They just drove like this all over our yard and fucked everything up. They were like, oh, this doesn't look like the one in the picture. What's the address? This is not the right address. It's next door. Next door is not the right address either. Oh, boy. Pack it up. Uh, I bet if one of them had alligator skin boots, they wouldn't have made that mistake. You know, that's a sign of confidence right there. Or that's what, you know, your lead foot in the alligator skin boots is what causes all of this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, so that's what the inciting incident, really? Yeah, that's. Uh, No, 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 no. Kind of. No, they, we're still in introduction. The inciting incident is when the kid somehow lives next to this uh, old rundown warehouse that looks like the beginning of RoboCop. And uh, and that's where he witnesses the murder. And that I suppose that's the incident. Yeah, it is. We sort of get some people that are like, you just ruined our whole neighborhood and our park. And he's like, I brought this man to justice, and they start clapping or some shit. Like, oh, it's okay, Dirty Harry. And then the kid had taken the license plate number of the Lincoln that the bad guys drive, but he sees it again later and then follows them to the warehouse where Quintero, who had been arrested by Burt Reynolds, had already been released, probably for police brutality and just completely inappropriate arresting practices <laughs> and like tying him to a car and dragging him back. It's like, you can't, you do can't that. do that. And he's like, no, they had to let me go because that asshole did everything wrong as a cop. And they're like, no, you sang. So they give him what I'm calling the chicken carbonara snorkel. You know, that old <laughs> mafia mafia move. They, they strap a piece of chicken to his face and drop him in the water. And I guess he's dead. Yeah. I Was that a, is it, I mean, was the chicken a joke so they could get the line in of like, that's a waste of a chicken wing. Yeah. And it was a full hind quarter. Assholes. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I mean, this is it. Up until this point, minus the school scene, we're basically watching the movie RoboCop. Only RoboCop's better. Oh yeah, RoboCop is incredible. I saw it again recently, and I was like, "Oh my god, this movie is way ahead of its time." I mean, some of the uh, the special effects don't add up, but man, that's a dark, heavy movie. And then the subtext that Verhoeven puts in all of his movies and the advertising, and it's just great. Like the car was yeah. the SUX 3000, just everything. Verhoeven is super underappreciated. That guy was great. So they eventually, this becomes a crime scene. They find the kid. The kid's not going to play ball unless he can be. This takes forever. But the kid's not going to play ball unless he gets to become a cop. Yeah, and the interrogation techniques that they used were really bad. I mean, obviously, none of those people have kids because they were so atrocious with the handling of one child that could have, I mean, 
All they had to do was get him some food. Let me see your notebook. That looks pretty pretty neat there. Okay, I got the license plate number. Yeah. Yeah, just, dude, buy that kid 40 chicken nuggets and set it on the table and he'll talk. (laughs) (laughs) So eventually they have to cave to his demands and he becomes, he gets a ride along day with uh, Reynolds, who's extremely reluctant. However, the... The captain, who is Holland Taylor in every movie, every TV show, and half the plays on uh, Broadway, she basically threatens him to put him back in his blues if he doesn't do the ride-along, because they really need this lead, because they're so horrible at their police work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then, I mean, every scene in the ride-along is... Like, I mean, I guess that's the way that, you know, popular culture portrayed policing back then. You know, because they they sent eventually they send the kid up to go give someone a ticket. It's like, are you are you kidding? Isn't this the thing they're worried about? It's like, you know, you pull someone over for speeding and then you get into a shootout and they're like, this guy's just laughing, sending a kid up there. He's like, hey, go write this guy a ticket. Yeah. I really, I mean... I jumped too far ahead. That happened That's later. okay. And I'm going to make a strange comparison with the ride-along and how this all goes is that, like, Training Day is an unofficial remake of this movie. <laughs> I, I, I just watched this, like, two hours ago, and I don't even remember what happens next. He gets on the ride-along, and then some... Oh, I remember. Then some asshole is, like causing a bunch of havoc just to get his wife uh her purse back uh because she forgot it and she's getting on the bus and uh and he's like knocking people down with groceries with reckless abandon it's like holy cow this this guy is terrible yeah even if he was he didn't steal a woman's purse he could be cited for something you would think but instead, because he was apprehended by an eight-year-old, they have to let him off the hook because you can't you can't do that. Yeah. Also, I mean, if you were doing that and you were running to get your wife her purse before she gets on the bus and you turn around and there's a kid on your leg, dude, you're kicking that kid off your leg. I'm just saying. Yeah. Also, this is <laughs> the first we see of... Wherever they shot this, whether it was Tampa, Florida or not, being far too warm for a jacket because Burt Reynolds is sweating like a pig throughout this whole movie. Um, Everybody is sweating like a pig throughout this entire movie. Even the kids have sweat pouring down their face. I, It's like one of the... Sw- uh, the uh, one of the most unnecessarily sweaty movies I've ever seen in my life. It's like if for the amount of sweat that there is in this movie, you'd think we were watching like a, a b- movie about boxers. I don't know how they kept Reynolds face dry. If they had like a team of people, because he's like, he's pitting out, he's not pitting out. Like his whole shirt is wet, but his face manages to stay somewhat dry. So they have to have, just have like a team of towels and fans and ice. And it's just ridiculous. Yeah, that, and imagine what it's doing to that spray-on hair that he has. 
How many times do they have to go and cover up bald spots and put that fake spray hair in there? And it's got to run. So they just like got a car wash. I think it was. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was shot in some. I don't know if it was Tampa, but it's definitely somewhere in Florida. Uh, because I saw in the credits, there was like, a, uh, there was, you know, whoever hired the extras in Florida. So at least part of it was shot in Florida. Okay. I would probably all the outdoor stuff. Probably shot in Tampa. I don't, with $4 million, they're not making any signs that big to fake it. Yeah, I mean, it looked about right. It looks like a place you'd, a city you'd never want to visit. And that's probably, you know, that's what I remember about Florida. So a lot of hilarity doesn't ensue. There's just sort of muddling around the rest of this ride through day. And then uh, the bad guy shows up at his grandma's house pretending to be the uh, school counselor. The kid pretends to not know anything. The guy's like, cool. But then the kid recognizes the cowboy boots. And now he has to stay at Burt Reynolds' house. They don't have safe houses. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is exactly how it would have happened in real life. His apartment's super shitty. He only has one recliner and a TV dinner that he ate yesterday. But I guess that was enough food for him yesterday's TV dinner because he doesn't like there's no food for either of these people. They just he reads some sports page like it's a bedtime story. They go to bed later. He almost shoots the kid. Uh, and then I guess the next that kid. That kid did remarkably well for having a gun go off indoors, like right next to him. <laughs> like, in reality, that would have been so deafeningly loud and also so horrifically uh, traumatizing. And that kid's just like, I just wanted some milk. And I actually skipped past the sort of most notable part of this movie is its wholly inappropriate peeing scene. Oh, my God. I, I tried to not think about that. I was like, what is going on here? So the kid's brushing his teeth and Reynolds just walks in and whips his dick out and starts pissing. And then the kid looks at his dick and goes, wait, you can't pee yet. We got a sword fight. And you're like, this cannot be happening right now. Not in a PG movie. You can't just whip. It's not you're on the registry now. Well, he's a cop, you know, so he can get away with it. He can litter. He can look at little boys' penises. I don't know, but he's like, no, I'm not going to sword fight you. I'm just going to pee in front of you. Like, that's somehow better. Then allegedly we find out that his, that uh, Devin Butler's friend can piss eight feet, which is, I guess, a long way for a kid to piss. Yeah, I mean, this had been, you know, if they were really... If I was in the writer's room, this is the point where uh, I, I'd go, hey, if we're doing all these other stereotypes, this is where we got to insert the big black penis joke. Oh. <laughs> okay, let's move on. <laughs> so he's had enough of the kid and he passes him off on Jenkins, who's going to let him give tickets. And the thing that I... There's like some nonsense where he gives his principal a ticket and it's supposed to be funny, but it's not. The thing that I'm fixated on 
is what the fuck is going on with Jenkins' hair? Oh, yeah. It was like, I think he was probably balding, too. And the wind was, like, not working with him. It looked like they sprayed that fake spray that makes you have, like, fake hair all over him. But then secured that with about five cans of Aquanet. Or maybe what they did is they just, uh, they they shaved Burt Reynolds' chest and back and then just glued it to his head. It looks like a hairnet. It is not real hair. It's like a helmet made of hair. It's really strange looking. Uh, this is the scene where um, where the two guys just happen to get lucky and they're going to run this kid over in front of two cops. Yeah, they're just going to run him down. and But they know that the license plate is registered to the library under an assumed name because you can get away with that. So... Really, why not? Why not? They're not going to be able to track them by the license plate number, so go ahead. Uh, and then Burt Reynolds does his classic, uh, like, you know, saves him at the last second. And uh, and then they roll down the hill and have, like, a really uncomfortable lane on top of each other for a long time. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the, um which I guess makes sense after they, you know, did the sword fight the night before. But, uh, but this is the scene where, like, if it was a, if they did this with a girl instead of a little boy, that's the scene where they like start to realize that they're like kind of falling in love with each other, and then they have to catch themselves and go, no, we got to wait till the end of the movie, then we'll kiss. If you weren't twelve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, he he pulls the classic, I'm too old for this line here. And yep. oddly enough, this was originally written for a girl, not a boy. But Henry Winkler decided to change it to tone things down a little bit. And it's probably a good idea. However, that script that was, uh, or at least parts of it, were made in 2017 as the sequel to this film with a girl. And the lead was Lou Diamond Phillips, if you believe it or not. I believe it because I haven't seen it or heard of it. <laughs> it's called Cop and a Half Again or Cop and a Half Two or something, but no way this got a sequel. You got to be kidding. 2017 Cop and a Half Back in Action, maybe Lou Diamond Phillips and some twelve year old girl. Uh, well, at least Lou's getting work. You know, I support it. Everybody, go rent the sequel to this movie. Because uh, I don't think they play young guns on TV as much as they used to. I we got to help a help help a buddy. Don't out. know that I would have ever watched it on my own, but because my mom liked it so much and she pushed it on me, I ended up watching pretty much all of Longmire, and he's real good in that. Yeah, haven't heard of it. Uh... It's definitely for an older demographic. It's a cowboy Wyoming stuff. Okay, so he's he's going back to what he's good at. Yeah, looking good on a horse, holding playing a Native American, even though he's Filipino. Whatever. Because <laughs> everybody knows he's an Indian, right? Nope, he's not. Yeah, turns out it's yeah. not his fault. It's and, not uh, his fault. It's our fault. Well, Adam Beach was doing another movie, so what are they going to do? There's a bunch of other nothing that happens here. 
And I'm just going to skip ahead to where. Oh, no, they look. They're looking they look for, for Bobo. Bobo. And yeah, the first. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. This is what I took away from the first Bobo thing. I was like, oh my God, the Cohen brothers saw this movie and were like, that's a great scene. We can make it a little bit better. They did. It worked out better. I don't know who the... There was people doing this shit, though. Otherwise, they wouldn't get made fun of on movies and TV. But the, yeah. the first Bobo is a painter that puts him... He uses himself as a paintbrush, sort of. It's obviously not the guy. They both agree on that. And then the second Bobo is definitely not the Bobo, but this is a lot of... Here's something for Dad. Because it's just a... You mean titties? Titties galore. (laughs) You know, now that I think about it, this was my favorite scene in the whole movie. Yeah, she's just shaking him around in a nightgown for like seven or eight minutes of just, yep, you're bent over out of a window with your boobs hanging out of the window still. This is happening a lot in this children's movie. Yeah, well, I mean, it had to be in there somewhere. So thanks to the Fonz for going, hey, we're going to have a little break in the middle for Dad to get excited about. (laughs) Eventually, they get hot on the trail of the real Bobo. I feel like there's a bunch of other shit that happens. Actually, we skipped around. What happened is, is that he ditches the kid for Jenkins in between the first two Bobos. And then after he rescues him, he's like, all right, you're my partner again. Let's go find the real Bobo who's at a biker bar. And then your favorite joke happens where it's like, what's your name? And he has a tattoo of his name on his arm. So he doesn't forget. And, but the, the, the real joke is that his name's Steve. <laughs> Cause it's just a funny name. <laughs> there's a fight that happens where Burt Reynolds punches Bobo in the balls and tells it like teaches the kid. That's how you fight guys that are bigger than you. And then they, the kid saves him from getting his ass kicked by all these bikers by pretending to be a SWAT team on the radio. And, uh, they chase Bobo down. Who's obviously a tough biker because he's on a 400 Suzuki and he's wearing a helmet. (laughs) <laughs> I thought that was weird. I was like, whoa, why would they have this guy put a helmet on if he's a tough guy? I don't know. But was that a, a, a joke? Or they were like, hey, we should promote safe bike riding in this movie. We don't want to be reckless. I don't know what is happening here. If I was going to guess anything, Nils Allen Stewart, who is in like half of the episodes of Sinker Madness because he's been a heavy in Hollywood forever wasn't actually on the bike, and that's why they did the helmet. Oh, for the stunt purposes, yeah. I don't even know if that or, 400 would actually cart his big ass around. Well, yeah, well, that's... I mean, good, it good. would. It would just be under... The performance would be underwhelming once you stick 350 pounds on a 400 Suzuki. It's just not going to be great. Yeah, you're probably not uh, going to complete that bridge jump. No. 
which that's the chase leads to him getting away by jumping the bridge and Reynolds not jumping the bridge. And then my perpendicular joke that I thought was marginally funny. It was marginally funny. So they get into another buddy cop role and he leaves the house to surprise him with donuts. And he's worried because he's like, man, somebody's trying to kill you. You can't just be walking around on the street when this black car is seriously just driving in circles in town and we can't find it. And the kid's like, the hell with you. I'm going to do this myself. And then he uses magic to disappear. Two henchmen come to the school. Yes. This is about, yeah. And, uh, but first he, uh, he sticks it to the, uh, to the bullies by punching one of them in the dick. And they learn learn some moves uh, in that bar fight through a chain link fence. And then there's... Hey, it's a good move. It's a good move. I feel like if you made it to uh, eight and you haven't learned that move yet, then you haven't been paying attention. (laughs) He asked the kids at the schoolyard for a diversion after he's become a hero by handcuffing the uh, bullies to the fence, as it were. And they do. And then they do the Spartacus scene, which sucks. Then the henchmen get... Where everyone... uh, yeah, the I'm Spartacus. Yeah. <laughs> They're I'm Devin Butler. No, I'm Devin Butler. I was trying to think of like what movie. I was like, this is some movie. I, I just waiting for him to all put on like a Guy Fox mask and like I'll just stand there and like. And then draw and quarter those men and kill them and dance in their entrails. Yeah. Now that would have been a twist. We would not have seen. Coming. Nope. Instead, just Twinkies to the face, and the the career criminals have had enough of this monkey business, so they just leave. Fortunately yeah. for them, the kid's hiding in the back of their car, and he's now been captured. Also, for nine ninety five, that is a damn good hand radio. Those are good walkie talkies for ten bucks. Unless he was. D- Unless yeah. he was prorating it and they were $20 and he's only charging him for the one because he's eight and he just doesn't get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he paid attention in uh, in his economics class, that's for sure. They don't even have classes. They're just at recess all day long. Don't, the but, Tampa, uh, I'm so losing my face. He, and and they, uh, they, they, now they've got him in the car. Because someone tried to chat with him on there. And they take him to... The pier. The docks. Yeah, the docks. Yeah. And at the docks, which, uh, we find is, out that... We find out that, uh, just like every drug kingpin movie, uh, there is a dock somewhere where they're smuggling drugs. It seems... They called it a drug lab, but it's not. It's They're smuggling. And they're smuggling... The drugs that are blue pop rocks or movie made blue pop rocks through tubas. Yeah, I mean that—that's you know probably worth the time and effort. You know, smuggling it inside of those because they're not expensive on their own at all. No, and that also there's some brass Buddhas that probably fit more in them because of the Buddha belly. But this, yeah, sort of. My most profound thought while watching this film was, wouldn't that be a great store? 
tubas and buddhas. Yeah, you you definitely go there once. <laughs> you wait. You you could go there twice. If you didn't get both a tuba and a Buddha when you were there the first time and decided later, I would like the other one of the thing that I didn't get when I was there. And it'd be called uh, tubas with an H. Right? Yeah. All right. right, Sorry. Oprah meet Uma. Oprah. I can't even do that one. Yeah, so th- this is uh, basically the big big climax scene. You get your classic, uh, you know, uh, 80s, 90s action sneaking around in a warehouse, dispatching uh, people one at a time while they're looking for you. And then we get the car, car chase. They, well, Reynolds shows up on uh, the bike. He had stolen Bobo's bike, and they don't know that it's not him. Because the stuntman is obviously smaller than Bobo, too, so they can't tell the difference with the helmet. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's why they had the helmet on, because otherwise Burt Reynolds would have been able to sneak in as a short, fat Bobo. Yes. And uh, there's a gunfight. The kid doesn't get shot, thank God. Burt Reynolds gets shot, and it deactivates both of his arms for a short time. (laughs) I noticed that. He's like riding a motorcycle fine, and then later he can't muster the energy to uh, get on a boat. So, <laughs> like, drive a boat. So, Devin has to be the driver, the wheelman, and the boat chase. He's doing some fancy driving. The and the, the second group of henchmen, however, are not the best maritime henchmen. One ends up on the bow for no apparent reason, and the other just falls out of the boat. They were Italian. What are you, what are you going to do? I can drive a boat, sir. <laughs> I can drive one just fine without inexplicably crawling to the bow or just falling out. Depending on how many, you know, they don't let you have as many as you used to have with the boating. Now you're not supposed to get all shit faced without getting arrested. They give you a DOI in a boat. So I just feel like I have no chance of falling out of one at this point. Hey, side note, I, uh, I got pulled over in a kayak. How did that, how does that work? Uh, I was on a kayak on a lake and, uh, this, a uh, boat came up to me really close. And I was like, what is this boat doing here? And it ended up being police. And they were like, I, I, of course, I did have a beer in my hand. Sure. And it was like 11 in the morning. I was on vacation. And uh, and he goes, uh, he goes, hey, do you have uh, do you have a life vest on board? And I said, uh, no, uh-uh. And he goes, uh, you need to have a life be- vest on board. And I go, well, this this thing, it floats. And he goes, yeah, you don't have to wear it. You just have to have one on board. And I was like, just in case you tip over. And I was like, well, it also floats when it's tipped over. <laughs> and they were like, you got to go back. And mind you, I had just made it across the lake to an island. I'm tired. Yeah. And then this boat shows up and I and escorts me back across the lake. 
and I'm riding up to this dock and there's all these families getting ready to have a good day. And, and like this cops, like right behind me on a boat, escorting me back to make sure I go get a life vest. Did you get, did you get the life vest and go back to the Island or did you just call it, just call it a day at that point? I called it, dude, I was tired. (laughs) Man, kayaking on a lake, man. That's exhausting. Also, I didn't. I didn't want to play by their rules. You know yeah. what I mean. So, <laughs> it's my life. God damn it! It's a free country. <laughs> nope, you gotta have a life vest. Them's the brakes. But it, but it but but it floats. This thing floats, even tipped over. That's what I couldn't like. I couldn't rationalize in my head. I was like, but even tipped over, it still floats. Whatever. Rules are rules. Yeah, you're supposed to wear a helmet in those two. I was on a lake. Yet you could have been uh, swimming without a life vest and been totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I didn't get it. So the boat chase finally concludes with them jumping the boat onto the dock and then the, the... team of henchmen with the boss that's left because the other two have not made it. They also jump onto the dock to catch him. Doesn't seem like a great plan. Doesn't work out great. They run into a warehouse that is apparently the fish uh, gut disposal area and the kid yanks a chain and they're trapped in fish guts. Yeah. Because they couldn't just get up and get get out from the fish guts before they got it all filled up you know so uh then the police show up they're book them dano the whole thing they're arrested um i guess they found the evidence all works out we get a small denouement of burt reynolds rowboating his grandma and him he's bought him matching cowboy boots what's going on here you think um, this is the point where I was going, please fucking just wrap this up already. Like, can this just be over? And thank God it was. It was just like all of a sudden it was over. I was like, yes. Thank you. What do you think the situation is? He's just like, he's just like uncle cop now or something. Or is he like shacking up with grandma? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's not a time to kill, you know? Like, you're not getting that nice, like, picnic scene at the end. They're like, hey, we solved racism. You know, it's just, they just kind of leave it, like, at the uh, at, at the end. Now they're, now I guess he accepts kids. Yeah, I guess he's just, like, Uncle Cop or something. And that's not yeah. the end of the movie, because the end of the movie is the boat traveling in to infinity with that poor man stuck on the bow. He's oh, God. either going to make it to China or die trying. <laughs> I was I was so relieved when it was over. I was I was just like, oh, thank you. Thank you for not like pulling a return of the king and wrapping up everybody's stories at the end of it, you know, for 30 minutes. But then we get the fresh jam from Joey Lawrence that. A lot of times in these movies, I will suffer through the song to see how bad it is all the way. 
But Tubi sort of cut me off and started showing me another movie that was just as shitty as this. And I didn't bother to go back and complete it because I didn't. I was like, oh, God, that's really bad. And then I find out it's Joey Lawrence. And I'm like, oh, I'm really glad I didn't do that. <laughs> I, I just think if they made it like a modern day version of this. Ah, no, never mind. <laughs> they did. It's got Lou Diamond Phillips in it. Yeah, yeah. Oddly, that wasn't the movie that Tubi chose for me. It, it gave me like uh, fifth grade Sherlock Holmes or something. And I'm like, what is this? The, the other movies on here, wouldn't you back to back me with this shit? But no, they, they gave me a different one. You know, and, and usually I'm all for like a good, bad uh, action movie or sci-fi movie or fantasy movie. But, a, you know, a good, bad buddy cop comedy i mean there's not really a lot of good ones there's not a lot of enjoyable bad children's movies there's some out there santa with muscles was pretty hilarious um this one because it's a weird thing though it's like it's not good oddly enough roger ebert gave this three out of four stars but gene siskel said it was the worst movie of the year they were quite divided on this guy it made money, though, so it's like, oh, it worked, but it's crap. Do you have questions about the, the film or any of the events in it? Uh, I mean, we found out how much money that it made. I, You know, the one real positive thing I will say about it is just that we at least had, you know, it's it's good to see old Bert out there doing his thing. Doesn't doesn't look quite as sharp as it used to, but uh, you know, like those Smokey and the Bandit checks are probably a little bit less than they were, you know, a decade before. So apparently, he didn't have a nice time with Henry Henry Winkler. They didn't get along. He may have had something to do that he was like glory dazing it with his old football pictures and the Florida State sweatpants. Did you notice any of that? I did. Yeah, he had to be just walking around the, the set the whole time like, you know, I played for Florida State and would have played in the NFL for the Bears if I wouldn't have blown out my knee. Like, yep, we know that. Oh, yeah, and that's, yeah, and he alludes to that by grabbing his knee, stopping and grabbing his knee while he's trying to run in one of the chases. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever watch Evening Shade? That was happening about this fucking time. Uh, no, uh-uh. I didn't either. <laughs> um, so right before we started recording this, I did share with Sam because we can see each other that, and I kind of, you know, I didn't even think about it until I sat down to do this because it's just kind of been on the wall forever. But I do have a signed uh, portrait of Burt Reynolds hanging in my garage because my wife thinks it's inappropriate to put in the house. She's probably right. And it says, to Lucas, your friend, Bert. <laughs> yeah, I mean. So where did you find I it? Know, I mean, it's. Uh, my grandparents used to live in Las Vegas and it got it from someone obviously named Lucas down there. It, you, it could have been like eight, eight hands detached from Lucas by that point. You never know. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I've in my life I've owned two headshots uh, that were autographed. There was this one, and I also had a Pat O'Brien one, but uh, I uh, I gave it up at a uh, uh, what is a white elephant gift party about five or six years Mm -hmm. ago. I was like, well, this this Pat O'Brien's it's time to pass on. Uh, The funny thing is, we actually uh, I I. Took it from my dad, the Pat O'Brien one, uh, because he got it when he ordered a case of Don Imus's salsa. Whoa! If you order a case of his salsa, it comes with a free signed photo of Pat O'Brien. I wonder if you used to get like free Lee, Lee Trevino headshots with uh, the old El Paso. <laughs> okay, let's. Get this out of the way. Do's or don'ts. You picked it, so I will go first. Uh, I can't come up with any reason to watch this film other than if you are a Burt Reynolds completionist, at which point you've probably already seen it and we're like, yeah, that one was tough. Yeah, uh, that's. Yeah, that's that's probably the only reason. Like, if you're on some quest where you have to complete everything that Burt Reynolds, uh, every movie that Burt Reynolds ever did, then yeah, then you got to do it. But if you don't got to do it, definitely don't do it. No, it was really hard to watch. It was strange. It's one of those strange ones where it's like it wasn't underproduced either. Like they really got the miles out of the four million. Like everybody did mostly passable. It's just blah yeah and there's an incredible shot special effect shot of a twinkie flying through the air like an arrow yeah that one didn't look good yeah also i've thrown twinkies and they do not explode like that they stay surprisingly intact they they fly like a a a damp sponge they don't fly well and they just bounce off of whatever hits they hit yeah, but those kids were throwing some 90-mile-an-hour fastballs with Twinkies, you know. Yeah. With, so give give it up for those kids. They got some arms down there in Florida. Well, that's two don'ts from us. Uh, I have an odd question that I should have asked you before the podcast. Did you watch the Val Kilmer documentary on... I ha- I have not seen it okay. yet, but it's on, it's on the list of things, things to watch. All right, well, the next time you do the show, we're going to have to talk about that. All right. It it looks awesome. I'm I'm super excited to see it. I've heard nothing but good stuff about it. Justin's going to be back next week. Do you want to do the show next week as well? Uh, possibly. If you do, we can talk about your assignment would be to watch Val before the next recording session. Val? Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll have to check cuz I don't know if we what we have going on next week, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's a possibility. Okay. Well, that's our show. Uh, For Tyler, I'm Sam, and this has been Stinker Madness. Stinker Madness.